for listening to the First Team America Patriot Network by Patriots for Patriots. We consider Patriots on both sides of the aisle and from all walks of life. I'm your host, Dono. Before we begin our interview, I want to say, I want to speak about some things that are disconcerting. We must all as Americans come together. When I say come together, we need to have open dialogue. Whether we agree or agree or disagree, there is no room for violence or threats. We should all be able to have an adult conversation. The recent efforts with censorship have helped me uh, start this podcast and will continue all efforts to uh, keep open lines of communication. I'm shocked at the levels of political discourse and politicized government positions and roles that should be neutral parties and unbiased. I would ask us all to have an open mind and just because someone disagrees doesn't make them the enemy. We must all do our part to protect this nation. We're First Team America, Patriot Network, by Patriots for Patriots, from both sides of the aisle and from all walks of life. God bless America. You are listening to First Team America, Patriot Network, by Patriots for Patriots. From across both sides of the aisle and all walks of life, I'm your host, Dono. Um, I've got a special guest with us today. I mean, when I first started creating this podcast, I thought, who, what do I want to talk about and whose story do I want to, I want to bring on here? And uh, this guest was one of the ones that I definitely thought of. I got to get him on this place. I mean, most people have no idea of the history of what we're about to talk about, how it got started. In fact, I'd say there's a large number of companies who still don't know why they're putting in a certain feature that uh, seems to be now um, a, a commonplace rather than others outside of this gentleman's expertise really know what its use and, and application is. Um, first off, I want to bring you uh, our special guest, Ken Good, who's been in our industry for how many years now, Ken? I, I don't know too long. I hate to admit. <laughs> uh, I probably started training in earnest, uh, gosh, 35 years ago. So, yeah, yeah. I'm rolling into my uh, sixth decade here. So wow. well, I uh, they, they haven't put me in a walker yet, but, yeah, I've been, been around for a while. Exactly. You know, Ken, you're one of those guys that uh, is that I look at as a can-do kind of person innovative leader, uh, definitely an entrepreneur, and we'll talk more about your companies here in, the, in this podcast. You know, when, when I hear the word instructor, I think of you, that's not in bad term, but I think of you more, uh, more of a complete uh, uh, role like a teacher. You show by doing and by example. That's one thing I've, I've noticed with being involved with you in the past. So, um, Ken, let's, uh, let's talk about who is Ken Good. Okay. Do you want me to just blather? Do you want to get specific? Uh, uh, just tell us I, Tell us yeah. about yourself. Okay, great. Yep. Okay, great. So, you know, everybody likes to, uh, uh, I don't know, credential. Um, so my, my first credentials are, is I'm a father. And uh, I have a son who is now almost 26. And, uh, you know, based on my background, 
sort of upbringing, I, that was a scary task for me. Uh, but made it. So that that that's first and foremost, and all that that means. Secondly, uh, from a professional point of view, I dropped into Naval Special Warfare uh, 1978. I was in Bud's class 105, and I was the honor grad of that class. And from there, I got to select what team I got to go to, and I went. And the SEAL Team One was the sort of considered the premier team at the time, so I had the opportunity to go there. And then they said, hey, what do you want to do here? Which was blowing me away because there was just guys there, you know, from the Vietnam era all the way to, you know, in between my time. And I was, you know, intimidated to say the least, uh, being there some amazing people, with amazing experience and amazing talent. So I was soaking it all up. I got into the ordinance department and uh, ended up deploying overseas, you know, as a rep. And so my basic take was uh, I didn't want to carry radios. I didn't want to fix things. I, you know, I wanted to carry things that shot and blew up. You, know, <laughs> you guys can carry that other stuff. So I became pretty focused, uh, you know, on weapons, weaponry. I ended up being a scout sniper instructor, uh, first ones in Naval Special Warfare. We adopted the U.S. Marine Corps standard at the time. They had some, some guys all over the place between civilians and military law enforcement courses. And they decided to do the U.S. Marine Corps standard. And it was difficult. Uh, been to a bunch of weapons schools there, uh, Red Eye, Stinger Missile School, Tow Missile, you know, Improvised, this, that, the other thing. So, you know, lots of background in weapons. Uh, I ended up getting out. We weren't fighting anybody at the time, which was sort of like being a professional fireman and not seeing any fire. So it was difficult. Uh, but I did get out, uh, went back to school, and, you know, sort of a long chain of events. I ended up working for the Department of the Navy in a uh, anti-terrorism program that I ended up directing. And that sort of was the segue in the low light. And we can you know, discuss that in, in uh, earnest a little bit. Uh, I ended up working for quite a few uh, commercial enterprises, starting some on my own. We can get into specifics on some of that now. So I, I run a martial arts school here in the San Diego area. I train a good, um, you know, nine, 10 hours a week as uh, leading that group and uh, you know training for that outside of that as well and uh you know one other thing that is is sort of big in my life i got into motocross motocross racing and uh, off-road riding uh when i was 50 believe it or not my son was totally into it and i decided hey this is something we can do together uh i hurt myself quite a few times i learned a lot through those injuries and recovering from those but uh still doing it people are like what are you doing that's amazing but it's absolutely captivating i love it so and i know you raced motorcycles or you were riding uh, uh, atvs was more my stuff yeah i remember you yeah, mentioning but, that years ago too and this and you got your yeah. son involved in it too didn't you yeah and yep. he's 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 my coach now awesome he's, he's really good we have a good time awesome and so what's the uh what's the name of the companies you're involved involved with presently your companies so <laughs> I have Progressive Combat Solutions, and we have a website, progressivecombat.com. And 
that primarily focuses on presentations to law enforcement and military. I have another company called uh, that I'm involved in called Pressure Break Trigger Systems, and that's pressure-break.com, Pressure Break. We just uh, launched that, and they are dropping replacement triggers for a bunch of different firearms. Uh, right now, we just we have them off the Glocks, but we're moving forward on other things. And my partner in that, who is also helps me in progressive combat, invented that trigger. And uh, you can go there and sort of you know see see the whys, the wherefores, and how it works um, on there. And then finally, I have an online uh, training company called TheSaferSolution.com, and we focus in on corporate customers and online training for active shooter uh, scenarios. So those are the main ones. Outstanding. Uh, if guys, I invite you to check out those websites. I saw the trigger uh, group and I saw the safer solutions. Um, and, and man, they look really good. I tell you that trigger is interesting. I, I hope to do a segment in the future and have you back just to talk about the triggers. Cause what an amazing concept that, that, uh, that shows from the, uh, website videos. Okay, great. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they, it's, uh, it's going to be more than it even purported to be. It's, uh, people don't, Absolutely. I think once the word of mouth gets out on that, it'll be it'll be interesting to see that. Outstanding. So, so Ken, to the to to the uh, the focus of this episode on the on your, I'd love you to to speak to us about how you got started in the low light. So many people, as I was mentioning in the introduction, don't realize the use of a light in tactical uh, uh, operations or training, or even who came up with the the uh, the particular program. So tell us how you got involved in the low light training and, and doctrine, if you will. Be glad to. And feel free to stop me at any time <laughs> and go, hey, I need a question or I need a break. What happened uh, while I was working for the Department of Navy, uh, we ended up, and I mean, me, me and a guy named Dave Maynard hooked up. He's also a team guy. Uh, in training Navy sailors on how to defend their ships because the Marines were getting pulled off of the Navy platforms. And I remember being recruited for that job and going, ah, that's the last thing I want to do is train a bunch of sailors. Um, it's just going to be, if you will, beneath me, below me, you know, it's my ego is screaming there. But hey, I needed a good job. And it was a good job. So I ended up uh, getting involved in that program, ultimately directing it for about a, a decade, had a bunch of people working for us. But what happened was uh, we had a, a small naval vessel, plenty good size to train on, uh, that was actually energized for a long period of time. The Navy said, hey, we're tired of putting power to that thing. You guys can still use it. And but just stay above decks. And... Like, sure. And we ended up using below deck uh, for operations and scenarios and drilling. And since it's watertight down there with all the hatches and, uh, you know, clothes and doors closed, they don't call them doors in the Navy, but um, it was absolutely 100% hitch black. You could not see the hand in front of your face. In fact, I remember when I first started working down there, I, I was blinking and my eyes opened or closed. It was just very disorienting. So in order to maneuver, we started, of course, bringing in flashlights and other lighting systems. And it 
became apparent to me that there was actually no formal doctrine out there on how to uh, work in groups or even as an individual in those kinds of conditions using white light elimination tools. Wow. And we're not talking about exclusive use of night vision and all that sort of thing, but white light. And, and you know, we're talking late 80s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had gone to one school, uh, civilian school, Jeff Cooper's school, Gunsight, and uh, the only thing they introduced you to was a flashlight handgun technique called the Harry's technique. And it was to be used in conjunction with what they were advocating, the Weaver, um, you know, uh, sort of flashlight handgun technique. Right. So I went to the school and, you know, it was sort of cumbersome to do that. And uh, that's great. You know, I'm glad somebody put something on paper, but that never really answered when do you do this? How do you do it? What are the liabilities of turning on a light? Obviously, uh, what happens if there's more than one of you? Um, that that's where there's, there was more questions than answers, and nobody, as far as I was aware, had ever really codified uh, the use of flashlights. And I call them illumination tools in general, but flashlights along with your firearm. Right, and I, in the process, started looking for things that worked. And we brought in HID lights. We brought in crazy things. We brought in uh, any flashlight we could get. And at the time, uh, I discovered, quote-unquote, the Surefire 6P flashlight. And it put out 65 lumens of of, of light. And we were like, this is amazing, 65 lumens. I mean, look at this thing. Right. And... And later on, if you spend a little bit, you know, twice as much, you know, $30 for a flashlight module, you could get a 110 lumen version, you know, and then it would last about 15 minutes. Right. And the batteries were $8 a piece, you know, and it was crazy. But I'm like, hey, let's check this out. But um, again, that's just the hardware. Right. And so I decided to sort of see what was possible. Uh, down there, and what really uh, worked. Uh, one example, and, and oh, by the way, we were bringing SWAT teams down there. Uh, you know, it was, uh, over over time, and they would come with their, their shields, their dogs, their flashbangs, their weapon-mounted lights on their MP5s or whatever they had, and their their uh, handheld uh, systems. And I ended up hooking up with uh, one of the teams that was uh, heavily integrated with Surefire as far as testing. You know, shut off the computer. Yeah, repeat that last line. You ended up bringing in who or what? Uh, A a SWAT team. uh, Mm -hmm. It was actually Irvine SWAT team. Right. And they had direct connections with Surefire. Surefire was, you know, helping them, essentially sponsoring them, giving giving them as much support as they could because they're in that area. So um, I said, well, look at these things. And I sat down with the owner, which was John Matthews, went to lunch, and he said, what do you think of my illumination tools? And I said, and, and, I, and I, you know, I said, well, for fighting people, they're, they're, they're basically almost useless. And he was, he was, what? I mean, these, and they were the brightest things at the time, by the way. 
Exactly. I said, they just don't do enough. And uh, so we started talking about the, the current limitations of flashlights and weapon lights and batteries and, and these kinds of things. And that was my first Fourier into hardware, if you will, just uh, talking to, to him about that and helping him actually set a completely different trajectory for their product line. Uh, so we were in the meantime down there, you know, in the in the below decks, pitch black, and I I was constantly uh, trying things. And I, one day I was at Radio Shack, and I saw this disco kind of uh, strobing thing. You know, you could hear the wheels like, <laughs> you know, you something you saw these things. It was this crazy reflector in a box with. Um, uh, a 120 volt outlet. So I literally strung probably 200, 300 feet of of, uh, of uh, extension cord, and I I found an outlet on the dock, and I pulled it across the the deck and down below decks, and I had this strobe light I could use down right. there. Wow! And I turned it on as the the student teens were coming down the hallway, and they were basically completely debilitated. They did not know what to do. And what I noticed about the strobe light, when you're behind it, it's nowhere near as bad as being in front of it. And I, I, I liken this to being at a concert where you're sitting behind the Marshall stacks as opposed to in front of them in the front row. I mean, it's loud but it's a lot worse for the people right in front of the speaker. Exactly. And that's that was happening. So, yeah, some of my uh, situational awareness degraded, but the people we were opposing couldn't do anything. And, in fact, it was so bad. And, we, by the way, we're doing force-on-force force with paint guns, and, uh, which we learned a lot, a lot about, you know, what people typically do. Um, we have weapons when they're being shot. You know, it's a reasonable facsimile, and, and things have gotten a lot better with simulations and uh, all sorts of other uh, simulated stuff. But I realized right then and there, this strobing capability is absolutely amazing. And, in fact, the other instructor said, you can't bring that down here anymore. It's too unfair. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? My job is to be... Blowing these guys off their feet. No, no, no. It's just they can't do it. So I tucked it away. Wow. I tell you what. And so that is that's a that's what is something that most people have have no idea of. Who came up with that? You've got, yeah. uh, you know, there's so many companies putting a strobe in a light without understanding what it is, why it needs it. So keep going, please. That is that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah and I'll and I'll try to circle back to that understanding and sort of the development of that. Um, so, make a long story short, after a decade of literally, you know, force on force, four to five times a week, I had a company called Combative Concepts. So, when we weren't shooting people at, or shooting on the range, or shooting people on the ship, we were doing it in a warehouse. And we would have, like, a, sort of like fight club for guns. And Marines would show up, and Navy guys would show up, and cops would show up, and on and on. So, we got, you know, we were just getting double, triple doses, and what was really revelatory for a lot of people was specifically the low light. You can do things in a low light environment that you just cannot do in broad daylight. 
And the better you are at understanding these principles and leveraging them, the greater the disparity is between uh, combatants. Um, you may be able to blow me away on the square range, but you know if you can't see me and don't know how to use your light and use it incorrectly, uh, you know the scales are tipped enormously in my favor. Certainly. So at that time, I said I was still searching. Is anybody talking about these things? Like you know, uh, no. Other than hold your flashlight like this and hold your hand down like that. So uh, I started trying to present the ideas uh, in some sort of logical manner, in some sort of cohesive body. And that I ended up codifying that. They're actually on my website, um, progressive.com. You can, uh, uh, progressivecombat.com, excuse me. Okay. I have that little legged PDF. Um, you know, I, I have that, and it's just really the synthesis of all this stuff. However, so anyway, um, in the process, I ended up being offered a job at Shorefire. And I was doing pretty well with the U.S. government doing my thing, and it sort of took me a little bit of, uh, you know, I, I really thought about it. And I said, all right, let's, let's give this a shot. So I started... Uh, with the blessing of John Matthews of Surefire, the Surefire Institute. And its job was to educate people, specifically law enforcement and military primarily, um, to the benefits of learning how to leverage an elimination tools. Now, Surefire arguably had the best um, tools on the market at the time. And uh, the, they sort of owned the the engine, if you will, the, the lamp assembly. They locked them down pretty hard. And, and they were they had some patents on weapon rights, and you know, so they were they were the go-to. They probably owned eighty percent of the world's weapon light market at the time. What year was that, Ken? And oh man, just still nasty stuff like that. <laughs> uh, you know, like in the in the early nineties, probably. 90s. Okay. And yeah, so maybe 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 man, maybe late nineties. I got to look at my own bio. I just sure. I didn't really ever put it together too much. I'm terrible with that. But uh, so we started, and then every every you know month or so, hey, there's another there's another nuance, there's another way, there's another way to explain this. This is what's happening consistently. So it was a constant reviewing and organization of the ideas as we just put thousands. I literally put thousands of people into the low light environment, and we're videotaping them. Uh, we are reviewing them. And even an idiot can figure it out. You do that in reps. Just the sheer number of reps was a teacher. Oh, and bet. so we could, you know, guys would naysay, oh, I don't think so. And then you gun them down, you gun them down, you gun them down. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they eventually have to say, I want to know that. And so the Institute also was involved in um, the actual hardware development. I worked with their engineers and said, look, you guys are creating products uh, out of your own little head that you, you work in a cubicle, but, you know, by the way, they don't actually work that well. And so it took a while to bridge the gap where they could trust me and I could trust them. And, you know, products like the M900 vertical foregrip, you know, illumination, mm -hmm. smaller LED for, for navigation, um, uh sort of universal uh, modular systems, all kinds of stuff were, were born during that time as I stayed late at night after training all day or doing doctrine 
They're going in there and dealing with the engineers. So I had the opportunity to see how things were developed from concept to prototype to reality to distribution. You were in, you <laughs> so were in the perfect incubator to really come up with yeah. those ideas. I, I've always wondered, yeah. Ken, and I did not know that, that you designed <laughs> the concepts uh, behind that uh, uh, the foregrip, four-end light with the uh, – was there two lights on that, one white and one like a purple or well, bluish? Well, they, well, they had here, – here's the, the thing. I, I don't want to say I invented Right, this. exactly. I, I'm going to say that I was a, a powerful influencer. Influencer, As sure. things got moving – you know, and we could offer, hey, you know, the switch is that, that's a bad place to put the switch. You know, uh, yeah, it's great to have that size reflector, but here's the problem, and here's what the guys really want. And so, like the M900, if you remember, it had uh, those initial versions. I haven't seen them in forever, but uh, you know, they had a white light illumination uh, system on it, and then they had some LEDs for nav, and that came directly out of our experiences down in it down below ship here's how i initially handle navigation levels of light because you know you, you flame on and pitch black with even a hundred lumens it's it's overwhelming to your eyes and by the way people can see us for for a long way away that makes so what we sense. did was i took a scope cap that surefire was using to basically protect the lens and i just put a pinhole in the center of it and anytime I wanted to just have enough light, I mean, down to one, two, three, four lumens, I would just close that scope cap and I would navigate, you know, very stealthily and quietly and slowly in the dark. And then if I needed to use the flashlight, I would just swipe it against my leg and there's these little tabs on the, on the cap and it pop right open, spring open, boom. And I hit you with a full, full face of light. So, you know, I, I had told Surefire, you need to come up. Now that LEDs are here, we can use them. Let's have some nav level lights as well. And, of course, you had to go through the explanations to why. So that's where nav level came. It came from too much is too much uh, for, for that purpose. Right. And I remember uh, Surefire, when I was working for them, they asked me one day, Paul Kim asked me one day, and they ended up putting this in some commercial tagline that they came up with that uh, Paul said to me, he said, hey, how much light is too much light, Ken, now that you're asking us to boost it up? Because there were all these debates on the internet. Oh, you need a 65. Oh, no more than 200. Never, ever, never. And I said, when it starts coming out their ears, that might be too much. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you have a nap level at some point, but you know what? When you are trying to put somebody down and disorient them and put lumens into somebody's eyeballs, you can't have too much. That's interesting. Uh, I was going to ask you that question later on, but Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's amazing. Keep going. Yep. Yeah. So that, that was a great time. Uh, And I, and I, I, I resolved myself not to get negative here, but I, I do have to kind of put this as a factoid. Uh, we had just worked with NYPD uh, post 9-11, and did a big course. I've been in Europe, and I've been traveling around the country. I was gone probably three weeks a year, just, I mean, a month, just, tra- you know, three weeks, come back, three weeks, come back. 
And there was all these shenanigans going on at Surefire, all this consternation. And it turned out the CFO of that company, Craig Stevens, and you can Google the whole thing if you want, you know, Craig Stevens, Surefire, Scandal, whatever you want to put it, broad. He had been stealing money from that company. And he ended up uh, with the thing sort of came to light saying, yeah, you know, it's getting good in the Institute. You know, they're stealing all this money. And I was like, what? You know, we mm-hmm. didn't handle money. We just did training. We sold products for them. And uh, so that led to my departure. And I started what's called Strategist International. And um, Craig Stevens ended up in prison a few years later wow. <laughs> for his crimes. Yeah. Uh, so, but that was really hard for me because I, I never lost a job, you know, for, for performance or negative anything. And right. That was, that was really hard for me. So I picked up a strategist international and I decided I was so pissed. I decided to do my own life. And uh, that's what got me going ultimately, how I met you through uh, Rockcock. So I, I took these prototypes that I developed, and everybody along the way, uh, you know, different lighting comes, yeah, well, you shouldn't try to do it yourself, you know, and I just join us, you know, you know, we know who you are. I was like, no, this is personal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is personal. So I took these uh, six volt and a nine volt flashlight uh, design of, of my choosing. And I took it to a shot show, and I walked around, literally just walked around, because I'd been through a bunch of them, obviously, with uh, Surefire prior to that. And I had 50,000 lights sold uh, on paper, you know, went to various dealers. And I ended up meeting Mike Knoll of Blackhawk, and he said, hey, I heard about these lights. Everybody's talking about it. He showed them to me. I showed them to me. He goes, I want to buy your company. (laughs) And uh, I said, uh, I don't have a company naked flashlight. <laughs> and so, you know, just wandering around, you know, yeah. and um, he ended up recruiting me to work for Blackhawk. And uh, that was cool. And, you know, another whole organization. Of course, that's how I met you. Yeah, exactly. And at the time, he said, look, ramp this up. So the supplier uh, for the lamp assemblies, once he realized I'm hooked with Blackhawk, and he, again, he had tried to get me to work with his company, and uh, he ended up doubling the, pri- the, you know, uh, the price of, of uh, the lamp assemblies you know, to supply us simply to try to run us out of business. Yeah. So Mike, Mike Noll was like, what are we going to do? You know, this is not going to be profitable. And I said, well, actually, I didn't even really want to make these anyway. These are just sort of also rands that were better than everybody else's, but they're not truly disruptive. They're not truly innovative. Let me tell you what I actually want to make. And I described what was called the Gladius. We ended up calling it the Gladius. I remember that. And that was a multifunction flashlight that included various levels of light based on user input. It had a momentary on, a constant on, and a strobe function in it. And it was relatively simple to use. Uh, Some people, you know, like it, some people don't. But it was the first multifunction LED flashlight. And and the the LEDs had just reached the threshold of 65 lumens. That was it. Right. We said, we're there. We can do it. 65 lumens. Now you can buy, you know, emitters that are, 4,000. 
plus, you know, in the same package, which is absolutely remarkable. But we ended up putting this thing together, and the Gladius was born. And I cannot tell you how much grief and consternation I received online telling me this strobe thing is such a joke. It's just a gimmick. It's it's just you're just trying to market something, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now keep in mind Jeez. fifteen years earlier or whatever, uh-huh. you know, I I had known that's not the case. And you can Google the science on what disrupts the human psyche and what frequencies of strobe does what. And this is a known thing. Yes, it is. You know, if you want to interrogate somebody, you put them under bright light, but you want to mess them up quickly. So strobing light uh, does some very specific things. It it disrupts your, in general, your spatial awareness. It's, it's hard to tell exactly where that light is in terms of distance, height. It, it disrupts your balance. It disrupts your peripheral vision in very specific ways. So when you have somebody you need to fight that doesn't know exactly where you're at in three dimensions, has lost a sense of their balance, has lost a sense of their peripheral vision, this is good no matter what kind of fight you're in. Sure. Now, it has to be applied correctly in the timing and so on and so forth. But it is more powerful in that modality than a constant on light. You, and you expanded is just a mode. Yeah, you yeah. expanded the well, tools in the toolbox for the officers to uh, an additional less and, lethal resource by just having that strobe in that light. Correct. And so, of course, when we brought it into Shot Show the first time, people were just like, "Come on!" And I remember one that was really sort of highlighting the whole thing that made me smile. There was a linebacker, active linebacker for a New England. Patriots that came in the day and we had this little, I don't know if you remember, we had that uh, little black, black blackout tent. Yep, so you could I go do. in there and experience the light. And uh, he says, yeah, I didn't hear about this thing. And this is the agent. He says, I want to see if you can take this guy down. And I'm looking at this dude. Going, oh my gosh, this is what firearms were invented, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I said, okay. And I, I told the guy, look, after you're on the ground, I don't want you to get upset and, you know, throw me through the tent. You know, I, I, I just, I want to make sure that you're going to go down, but you're not going to know exactly why. And just don't get upset. He goes, no, no, no. And he was actually really cool. So we had this protocol. One guy would talk to the, you know, subject, if you will. I'd say, sir, let me see your hand on that. We'd hit him with that stroke. And right when he got hit with that stroke, we'd have somebody come in on their flank and I do one of, you know, various takedowns that we use. This guy, all you could hear was, oh, you know, he was on the ground. And he goes, what just happened? <laughs> and I go, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he wanted to try two or three times. He tried a bunch of different ways to defeat it, and it just didn't work. Uh, and so, you know, we knew practically, you know, and when, as people were assailing our position, they were giving me grief. Uh, all back then, forums were the big thing. Various forum, uh, right. forum uh, internet forums. But I said, "Here's the thing, guys. I don't sell gimmicks. I'm not into gimmicks. I'm into combat and what works. What strobing light can do, positively, has not been fully explored. What 
the, the negatives of using a strobe light has not been fully explored. The correct frequencies and all that has not been fully explored. However, I will say from this day forward, the flashlight industry as we know it is going to change. And we know now virtually anybody and everybody puts, uh, you know, that feature in the light. Sometimes they call it, you know, signaling device and whatever the case may be, but everybody jumped on board. It, it stuck. And I just wish I had a dollar for every flashlight that was sold, uh, you, you know, that, that did that. Oh, but, exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's there now. It's an established part of the illumination tool industry. It's just amazing, Ken, and and the fact that uh, when you uh, started from what you you developed, influenced, and then how you got started, and and it's just reopened my eyes about how the the military didn't have a formal program on the use of lights, and uh, just as you've you've seen through the training, how many uh, SWAT teams, law enforcement officers have benefited from receiving. Right. All of that experience that you've developed um, with the lighting illumination tool technology. So the, the LEDs hit the market. And just as you mentioned, now you can get, what, 4,000, 5,000 lumens. Yes. Uh, um, yes. You also developed or were working with a company uh, that really put out a high, what, 40-watt, 50-watt, uh, the Night Reaper? Yeah, HID system. We had one light similar to the Gladius called the Estrella. We did it for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a good light. People really like it. Uh, but also I did an HID uh, spotlight, which is still a viable technology, but it's probably getting pushed out now by white lasers and, and LEDs now. It's probably at the end of its life cycle. Right. Uh, but at the time, uh, again, Surefire, my nemesis now, uh, was putting out uh, a light called uh, Hellfire. Uh, I wouldn't, what was it called? Hellfire. I can't believe I don't even know off the top of my head, but. Uh, they had to change their name because Hellfire uh, a missile. They actually had to change it, but uh, that light came out, and I looked at that and I said, "That thing is is nowhere near what it could be." So I ended up uh, working with a company uh, called Polarita Korea initially to help them design their handheld HID lights. So they really didn't have anything, so they they developed some handheld HID lights. And I said, hmm, now that we're here, what I really want to do is make a cruiser weapon light. And uh, so I did that. And in the process, I uh, spun off on my own. Uh, and I did a, I worked with a BMW illumination uh, guy that did uh, all the circuitry and ballast for uh, some of their vehicles. And we developed a digital um, ballast. It was USB programmable. It, it kept all the history of temperature and cycles, and it was it, it was it's really cool. Yeah. And I ended up, uh, you know, doing all the design work, getting patents uh, for that light, and ended up also developing a bunch of mounting systems for it because you need that for various machine guns, mini guns. Uh, we we got them on tanks in Europe. Uh, we have them on weapon stations, the remote weapon stations that are uh, being deployed are made out of, you know, in some of the Scandinavian countries. So really, you know, had a, a long run with those, and uh, that was another real building time for me, you know, getting, you know, in earnest military contracts uh, for these kind of 
kind of tools and uh, still sort of playing in the background in that area. Wow. I tell you what, those, those lights were amazingly bright and the way yeah. uh, it yeah. was just such a pure light that, that had almost no shadowing um, that yeah, most no, other very lights. Coherent. Yep. Yeah. Just amazing. Very coherent. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you see out there as a future in the, uh, in the light illumination tools? Wow. That's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I, be honest with you, I sort of, uh, I haven't really focused in on it. Be honest with you. I, I know I, I, I was a guy that ran the ball across the field a long way. And then I'm like, you know, honestly, it's like, I'm done. You know, I, I did my work and I am, I play more than I work. Uh, although I still do some other stuff. My low light was a necessary thing to fill in, but I am actually much more interested in the totality of combat, the strategies, the philosophies, the methodologies. Uh, how do you get, you know, the software for people? I believe it or not, although I've done a lot of hardware work, I'm not a hardware person. I, I only make hardware so that it can complement the human software, the person itself. Uh, so, you know, I, I just know things are getting uh, smaller, lighter, brighter, uh, you know, sometimes too many features in some cases, you know, sometimes not enough or, or no long switching. So uh, I, I've seen some other companies sort of stepping up with some really nice hardware um, I don't know that they, even people when they get that hardware, really know how to really leverage it. So I'm still interested in teaching people how to do that uh, because it doesn't matter, you know, if you have a really good snap-on wrench and you, and you have, a, you, know, cra- you know, something that's not as good but works, uh, if you're not a mechanic and don't know where to apply that and how, uh, that phenomenal snap-on tool doesn't necessarily do you the good it could. So I, Don, you're, I, I don't know. So that's a long, long way of saying I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a couple ideas uh, that I would like. I'm going to sort of hold underneath my hat because we're talking about doing them. Yeah, and they will actually be pretty disruptive again. <clears throat> uh, but I don't know that I'm going to have the bandwidth to ever get to them. We'll, we'll see. I'm yeah. hoping I can. Well, I tell you what, yeah. uh, uh, I knew you. Ha- I knew you had some ideas on that. Um, yeah. And that's great to hear that uh, uh, you're you're still in it, hundred percent. You know, still in it, but enjoying life at the same time. And anybody listening yeah. out there who uh, has interest, you should contact Ken. Uh, that guy can get it done. You know, we were talking before the call. I recall the project with Ken years ago, where our uh, uh, oh yeah yeah engineer team uh, couldn't respond fast enough to a a request. Uh, Ken and I talked. We talked about it, and within a week, Ken had samples in a box ready to go when the uh, engineers were dragging their feet. And the sad part is it's, it's, uh, it's almost like they, they wanted to sink it because they didn't design or come up with the solution, but Ken is that kind of can-do guy. It was just amazing, amazing to see. It was, actually, uh, it was actually about four weeks. It seemed like a week, but it was during Christmas. I literally canceled Christmas to make those prototypes. And uh, my wife was not real happy with me. But again, it was a personal thing. Uh, had to get it done. <laughs> yeah. But we did. We, we, we landed those products on, on the desk. And they, the looks on the face were, the faces in that room were, how did that just happen? 
Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Amazing stuff. Amazing. Well, I tell you what, Ken, uh, we thank you for being part of this program today on First Team America. What an interesting story. Um, I know there's so much more more to this, too, that we could could probably spend several hours on. But uh, I think it was important, and thank you for for, uh, speaking with us today and giving us some uh, background on the uh, use of illumination tools and the developments and those things. We appreciate uh, what you've done with that. So thanks again. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. You yep. got it. Thanks a lot. Hey, you're, you've listened to the First Team America Patriot broadcast by Patriots for Patriots across both aisles and from all walks of life. Please follow us on Spotify, Podbean, Apple, uh, and all the other podcast sites. Thank you very much. <laughs>